0: Uh, Tonight's Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, and can be found uh, in the bulletin. Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you connect us with your story of the world? It has been one continuous narrative from the beginning. You have not left us by chance. We're just spinning away in the black of the universe. This is your world. You have made us and we pray that we would be able to see our part in your story and it would make us sing. In the name of our victor and captain, Jesus Christ, amen. It has been said that the drama of redemption is a musical. That is, the story of God's coming into the world to redeem makes you want to sing. And that's been the pattern throughout the Bible. God delivers and people sing. God delivers Israel from King Yabim. And so the songwriting team of Deborah and Barak write a song and they sing. King David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel because he writes a bunch of songs in the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms. You heard it's the New Testament reading Mary, Jesus' mother, when she hears about God's deliverance, she bursts forth in song. And then today we have what is called the Song of Moses. We could also say the Song of Moses and Miriam. Scholars believe that as she's mentioned, they co wrote this together. And as God's people sing, they also pray. As I've been saying the last couple of weeks, Augustine said the one who sings prays twice. We're in this series about experiencing prayer and and that word intentionally chosen, not just learning about prayer or studying prayer, but experiencing prayer. And so we have to talk about singing. And here's the thing about singing. Singing is meant to activate your whole person, right? Activate the heart. The mind, the soul, the affections. And more than an experience, it's also a sign of the presence of God, of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says this, be filled with the Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Which teaches us another thing about singing. Singing is one of the great evidences that the good news of God's grace is operating in your soul. And that is that you not only know the lyrics of the gospel, but you know the music of it. There will be many people on the last day who know the words of Jesus and the story of the Bible and theology, but they will never see his face because they didn't know the music. They didn't enter into the music of the gospel. You know, back in the day of record albums only, one of the great joys uh, that people would have, I did, you know, you'd get home and you unwrapped the album, and sure, you could look at all the photos, but then you would sit there and read the lyrics. But imagine if every time you did that, you just folded it back up and then put it on your shelf. The music doesn't start until the needle drops. And when the gospel needle drops on a heart, it sings. That's what the music of the gospel does in our lives. And it doesn't require you sing just one song. You know, clap your hands if you're happy. There's lots of songs in the Bible. Songs of lament. Songs of outcry for righteousness. Songs of desperation. But all of those require the same thing. That a heart Let's God enter into its vulnerability. You see, that's, that's the thing. Does my heart, do my defenses go down? Do I give up my self will and my will to protect my heart? And does God enter into it? Now, if you're a fan of musicals, or if you've ever been to a musical, you know that there's different types of songs, right? There's uh, the ballad, there's the showstopper, there's the finale, but many times before any of that, the instrumental section plays the overture. And the overture gives you a preview of the themes of the songs that will show up. You hear the melodies recapitulated. Well, the Song of Moses does that. There are big themes that then unfold and reprise in the Bible. In the Song of Moses, mentions them. It's sort of like an overture, and I want to look at three. The Song of Liberty, the Song of Clarity, and the Song of Identity. Let's look at those three things together. First of all, the Song of Liberty. Uh, Philip Reichen, who's a theologian, has written a really fine commentary on the book of Exodus, uh, gives the account in seven ni- 1792 when a thousand settlers of African descent some of whom were American slaves, some of whom had fought in the British Army and moved north to Canada. Uh, they left North America to settle a province of freedom, Sierra Leone. All of them were professing Christians. And when they got off the boat and marched on the shore, they began to sing and they sang this hymn. Awake and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Wake every heart and every tongue to praise the Savior's name. Sing on your heavenly way, you ransom singers, sing. Sing on, rejoicing every day in Christ, the eternal King. They had been released from oppression and injustice, and they understood that God had ultimately did it, and so they had to sing. That's really what you have here, right? In the Song of Moses, the same conditions. Israel has finally been released from their bondage. Um, all of us know what it's like to wait for deliverance. Maybe it's been the last couple years waiting for the pandemic to go away. Maybe it's waiting out a bad boss. Maybe it's waiting for the affliction of body or affliction of the mind to lift. Maybe it's waiting for prejudice to be no more. The Israelites knew how to wait because for all the waiting you and I have done, not many of us have had to wait 400 years for something. And the last part of the waiting was the worst. This Pharaoh was the worst out of all of them. He was, to the core, a sadist. He was a narcissist. He took joy out of grinding Israel into the dirt. You heard the word stubble in the reading, and that's a word that has a reference to something. When Pharaoh, mad because Moses wanted their release, said, you know something? You're gonna make all the bricks that you had to make, which they barely could get through the day, right? They're suffering, they're getting whipped, they're struggling. And he goes, now, here's the kid. You've got to make all the same bricks, but now you've got to go get your own straw. He tries to reduce them to stubble. And Moses and Miriam pick that up and say, you've been reduced to stubble. You see, God's wrath is just. He's bringing justice to Pharaoh. If you read the story You find, you know, many times people might hear that song and go, this is very distasteful. This isn't what I like about the faith of the Bible. But you only need to read the story of Pharaoh and God to see that God is so much more patient than any of us. So much more long-suffering. I mean, if you don't know that from your own life, you can learn it from this story. I mean, God makes appeal after appeal to Pharaoh. He appeals to his reason. He appeals to his humanity. He appeals to his humility. Finally, he has to bring the tool of suffering. And by the way, when God brings suffering into our lives, that's always to drive us to his breast. And just when you think Pharaoh is going to humble himself, he gets back up and dusts off his hand and goes at it harder. Harder. You know, it reminds you of that scene in The Lion King where Simba gives Scar that last chance to leave and not return, and what happens? As soon as he turns his back, Scar tries to take him out. This is Pharaoh. You hear it in the text. After God has brought all this and Israel has left, the paraphrase we're given, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. This is the heart of Pharaoh. And you can only imagine how disheartened Israel was when they finally are released, and they look back, and here he comes. You know, when your oppressor is in power, it feels like he's never going to be out of power. He's always gonna be in power. And here he comes, and where are they gonna go? Nowhere to go. But then God shows up, the great deliverer. I mean, and I, the fact you can see their disbelief that this has happened, their amazement that they're stunned is the fact that they repeat in the song over and over, just like you and I do. When you and I, something amazing's happened. And we just keep retelling it to people. He was cast into the sea. The floods covered them, the the sea coverment. They went down like a stone, they sank like lead. The earth swallowed them up. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the wicked. But that doesn't mean the defeat of wickedness shouldn't be celebrated. God will be a man of war against injustice and unrighteousness. But even this song is pointing to something bigger. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said that this song symbolized the death of evil of inhuman impression and unjust exploitation and he's right because you can go to Revelation 15 and what do we read we read that those that conquered the beast are standing by the sea and they've got their instruments in their arms instruments of praise and we're told that they sing the Song of Moses and the Lamb. The Song of Moses is pointing to another song, the Song of the Lamb. And that song sets out this vision that there will be a final chapter that will end all oppression and evil. And Pharaoh's downfall is just an indicator that God does not tolerate forever oppressors. But Pharaoh is just a small O oppressor. He's reflective of the great oppressor from the beginning of the Bible. The adversary, the enemy of God's people, the father of lies, Satan, the one who lures humankind into bondage. The bondage of living lies, believing and pursuing the false gods that we pursue, the God of approval, the God of achievement, the God of comfort, comfort the God of status, the God of money, the God fill-in-the-blank. When, when the Song of Moses says there are no other gods, it's not saying God is supreme, it's saying, it's saying God supreme over, over all the gods, there are no gods. Bondage to that. Bondage to believing that God isn't good. That was the first lie. Bondage to self-justification and blaming. Bondage to self-fulfillment. A modern form of bondage. That I must live for my fulfillment and happiness now. Bondage to self-pity. The enemy brings bondage to us And these things, though, really are just a result of three major chains that come across us. And that is guilt, corruption, and judgment. Or we might say guilt, corruption, and death. And the liberator comes. The New Testament uses the release of Israel from captivity as the primary Old Testament example of redemption. In fact, it likens Israel's bondage to what it's like to be in bondage to guilt, into corruption, to sin, to fear of death. And so to be released means a greater Moses shows up and does a greater work of liberation. And from what are we liberating? We're liberated from guilt. The Messiah comes as a lamb, as a sin-bearer, as a guilt-bearer. Listen to these words. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. As the psalm would say, he cast our sin to the bottom of the sea. Amen. The great liberator comes and deals decisively. If 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 your strategy is to just ignore sin and say it's a, you know it's a it's a leftover from religious fundamentalism or to minimize sin, you will never really sing because in your heart and heart heart of hearts you know that you're not telling yourself the truth. It's when you find that God has seen all of that and he's wiped it away through his self-sacrifice, you begin to sing, you're actually free to sing. And then he liberates us from the one who accuses and oppresses. You know, once Jesus sent 70 of his disciples out, he sent them out to share the gospel and he vested them with his power supernatural power, when they came back, they were just full of joy because they had power. He reminded them, you ought to be more joyful that you're forgiven. But in that he said, yes, I know you were victorious because I saw Satan fall from heaven. This was just a precursor, you know, sort of like in Harry Potter where uh, the Dark Lord, every time his horcrux is knocked out, he begins to weaken, weaken. The enemy is already weakening. But the ironic thing would be, right, what Satan thought was his last card, the final card, and that is we'll crucify the Messiah, it does Judah on him. And it becomes his demise. His pride doesn't see. His pride, I it couldn't fathom like we couldn't fathom that God would humiliate himself and pour out his wrath on himself upon his own son and go to the grave for these people. Who would do that? The Son of God would. Surprise. And the book of Colossians says that when he did that, as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he was actually nailing our debt of guilt to the cross, but he was doing something else. He was disarming the forces of evil and exposing them to open shame. Now the one who shames people has been publicly shamed. Those of you that are fans of the Chronicles of Narnia, you know in the first book, and if you uh, haven't read it, I'm gonna spoil the plot, but you know how you feel about those things. You know, it's like, you know, there's an expiration date, right? Close your ears, but, you know, at the center of the story is uh, one of the children, Edmund, Um, he becomes a betrayer. He betrays his brothers and sisters. He betrays Aslan. And what happens is he's enticed by his own desire. He's sucked in by his own desire, and the white witch pulls him into temptation. And Aslan, the lion king, the son of the emperor, wants to forgive him, but the white witch reminds him, ah, you know the law. The law says that all betrayers are mine to execute and kill. But she was unaware of a deeper magic, a deeper law. And that is, when you had a willing victim who had committed no treachery and they were willing to die for another, death would go backward. You can see where Lewis is getting his idea. What is the power that the devil has in the Bible? much different than in the movies, we would think. It's actually a righteous power he has. It's the law. Sinners are condemned, and they're judged with eternal death. And so, the great Deliverer comes, and he offers himself in that place because there is a deeper magic, God sacrificing himself in love There's something worse than being under an oppressor. It's being under one and not knowing it. But the second or last thing is liberty over death. In Romans chapter eight, just such a beautiful passage, right? The the more you read it in this context, that makes you wanna sing, where the Apostle Paul is just talking about uh, no separation because of Christ's sacrifice and his love. And he says, don't you know, you are a super conqueror, people of God. Oh, if God's people, if we only saw that, we'd lose the victim in the whining in the depression and the discouragement and all of us are going to ebb and flow. But there's a faith demand, too. In Christ, you are a super conqueror, more than a conqueror. And that'll get you singing, because death is nowhere to be found. You know, I was thinking about um, the Wizard of Oz. And if you haven't seen it, no. <laughs> so you know, there they are—the the wicked the we- wicked witch of the East, right? Well, yeah. which one is the first one? East, yeah, East, East. So the world falls in on her, right? house falls in on her. She wasn't killed for just having bad socks. And, um, and so, anyway, that was a, that was a, anyway. So, but right, they're, go- not, uh, not Narnia, Oz is going crazy. They're singing, there's such celebration, right? But what stops the singing? Death isn't dead, it shows up again. And the wicked witch, no more singing. You see, you and I many times are sort of like that where even though death has been dealt with, if you've embraced Christ, if you've come to know him, we're still kind of like waiting. Like I'm going to sing, but I still think another one's going to show up. Yeah, there is. It's a passageway. A sign of God's, our freedom from the fear of death is our singing. But more quickly, the last two. It's a song of clarity. The deliverance of Israel has some aha moments in it where they see God like they've never seen him before. Who is like you? Who is like you? We haven't seen you like this. Majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Listen, all of us need God to fix our spectacles because our vision is off. Sin has made us have distorted vision. For instance, if your idea of God is that it's nameless, faceless, force, power, universe, you won't sing. When's the last time you sung a song to gravity? We don't sing songs to principles and nameless, impersonal things. You won't sing. Or if your idea of God is basically, He's just like a funhouse mirror of me. God to me is this, and this is a big part in our culture. We, we, We really have this idea that God reveals himself through me and what I think. But unless you think you're worthy of worship, you won't sing. And if you think you're worthy of worship, you got bigger problems. Or if you believe God is only a harsh judge, you won't sing, because you're just weighed down with shame. I, I uh, worked in ministry once with a woman who told me this story where she had been a ballet dancer through high school and part of college, and she was dating a guy, and they were, I think, taking a walk on the beach, and you know she just kind of wanted to be vulnerable and free, and so she, she sort of just launched into this you know ballet thing on the beach, and just did a couple moves, and he kind of went, And then she met a guy years later, she was smart, she did the same thing, Came a fleece, and he was just like, wonder, beauty. She married that guy. <laughs> right? If you think God is just scowling at you, you won't dance and you won't sing. But again, what, you know, what are you gonna do to deal with that? Well, I'm going to just sort of like be a do gooder, a Washington do gooder, or I'm going to affiliate with some religion or some sort of thing that kind of gets me on the treadmill. You're not going to sing because every day you're reminded of what you're not doing. Even people that are in Christ and know God's grace and righteousness, right? We don't sing as we do because part of it's like, I don't think God wants to hear my voice. I don't even want to hear my voice. I remember hearing someone saying they had heard their voice recorded and they were just like, I hate my voice. That's what we're like, right? I hate the way I look. I hate my voice. We need the smile of the Father. Or if your idea of God is it's a spineless love, you do you. You know, whatever you do, it's celebrated. It's got no integrity. I mean, the people in your life that truly love you, they've got guts. When you're not, you know, uh, living the dream in a way that's integratable or just, they're going to talk to you about it. They're going to confront you when you need it. When you and I do that, what I'm saying is this, there has to be two sides of clarity, understanding God to get you to sing. You have to comprehend his holiness and his love. His holiness and His love. You find it mentioned here, majestic and holiness and steadfast love, both end. They're they're two sides of the same coin, that's the thing. We pit them against one another. A distorted view of God's holiness and righteousness is we don't see it's on the other side of of love. But think about it. When you treat someone as holy, as precious, as to be esteemed and honored, you're loving them. And if you love someone, it ought to show in the way that you care in the ways I just mentioned. Holiness and love go hand in hand. You and I, the Christian life is growing both in the holiness of God and the love of God. And if you're just growing in one, if you're all about like, I'm gonna grow in the righteousness and that, you're not gonna sing. Or if you're just like, I'm gonna just, you know, love the God that sort of loves me however I am, you're not gonna sing. The beauty of what we find, what happens over and over and over and over and over in the Christian life is this. These aha moments where you're like, I've been seen. I've been seen. I mean, the eyes of God have seen, I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable. He sees me in my deepest desires and emotions. But at the same time, there's like this welcome come to me acceptance you begin to sing but lastly there's a song of liberty of clarity but a song of identity connection pharaoh had his own eye song i will do this i will do that there's a better eye song we heard it in the passage i will sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise my Father's God and I will exalt Him. Do you have claim and ownership of this God? Maybe for the first time have you laid hold of Him? Where do you find You're hesitant to make his claim. It's only through Christ you'll have the strength because what you're saying to yourself is, you know, God, you are all those things to me because I am in your son. And you are eternally delighted in him. And so you're delighted in me. Even if you grew up with the faith, did you notice he said my father's God, but it's not enough just to have your father's God. You have to own that faith. It's got to have your fingerprints on it. So singing means that you and I are entering in more and more, even when our consciences don't. And listen, you know, I come to worship like you. I mean, there there are times where I feel like singing. There's plenty of times that I don't. You know? There are times where I'm just like, my head's too worried about what's going on here. I just, you know, it's like all of us, right? But what it is, this step of faith where I go, I'm going to immerse myself. I'm going to immerse myself in the liberty you've bought for me, the clarity. And as we do that, we'll begin to see him differently. And then we're going to say, you're mine. You've claimed me, I claim you. Oh Lord, give us a new song every day. Can we sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb? Oh Lord, delight our hearts with the melody. Let it overtake any other siren's call. In the name of Christ, our captain and our Deliverer. Amen.